Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today, uh, we're going to continue our series through the book of Psalms. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 10. If you can believe that, we're just marching right through this uh, great book, one of the Psalms. Uh, The title of our study today is God, Where Are You? Would you please join me now in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true, and we thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word to teach us, to instruct us, to help us to grow. We thank you that your word is enough for us and that it very clearly reveals the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, as we consider this chapter today, as we examine it, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, that you would instruct us from your word, and that you would help us to grow to be more like Christ. We just thank you, Lord, for this time of study that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 10. Psalm 10. Hear what the word of the Lord has to say to us today. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desire of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God? And say in his heart, you will not call to account. But you do see... For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is the reading of God's holy, precious word. King Ahab has come down to us as the most wicked king 
of Israel, worse than all who came before him. But his wife Jezebel was even more evil than King Ahab. She was like a coiled snake. The the scriptures leave us with a chilling commentary on the legacy of their lives. In 1 Kings 21, 25, it says, There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. At one point, Ahab wanted to buy a vineyard near the palace. The owner, a man named Naboth, wouldn't sell it, and so Ahab was depressed. Queen Jezebel knew exactly what to do. She wrote a letter to the to the elders of Naboth's village in the, in the king's name, ordering them to frame Naboth for blasphemy and treason. In fact, she even planned for two liars to testify against him. And the plan went devastatingly well for her, and it went just like she planned. Naboth was stoned to death by his own people in his own hometown. And Ahab confiscated the vineyard according to 1 Kings 21, 1-16. What a perverse and a wicked thing to do. She corrupted the village elders. They, they were guardians of justice in that village. In fact, they had known Naboth since he was a boy. And now his blood was on their hands. In fact, she corrupted his whole village because the community had betrayed their neighbor. She dishonored God by using his word as part of her sinful plots. And when she took Naboth's life, she stole his family's inheritance. This was a multi-generational sin. If Naboth had a wife and children, Jezebel left them destitute. This terrible injustice happened during the monarchy in Israel, but it could have been in our newspapers today. Human nature has not changed in 3,000 years. Greed still drives men and women to do great injustice. On September 4, 2008, Tulsa business owner Neil Sweeney was shot in the head of his business, Retail Fuels Marketing. As investigators examined the case, they uncovered a conspiracy. A gas station owner who hadn't paid his bills was upset when Sweeney wouldn't deliver more fuel to his station, and so he arranged to have Sweeney killed. Injustice happens in our families. And we might wonder, where is God when this happens? This is the question that grips the psalmist in the opening verse of Psalm 10, which says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? We may go through terrible injustice, and yet it seems as if God is distant, that he is uncaring, and we might ask, where is the Lord? Now, Psalm 10 is one of the few chapters in book one, which runs from Psalm 1 to Psalm 41, that does not have a heading linked to this song with an author or a specific situation in mind in history. And as a result, this question that the psalmist is raising is a timeless question every generation asks. God, where are you? Are you a caring? Are you a loving? Are you a compassionate God? Are you a, a God of justice? In fact, this is an especially penetrating question because the previous psalm, Psalm 9, teaches us that God is the great judge of the world. Psalm 9, 7 says, He has established his throne for justice. He hears the cry of the weak and the afflicted and avenges them. And so why do the wicked 
still succeed? Where is the God of justice? And as the psalm appeals to God, he describes the wicked in Psalm 10, 2 through 11. He calls God to action in Psalm 10, 12 through 15. And he ends with a new confidence in the justice of God in Psalm 10, 16 through 18. There is hope in this world. God is a God of justice. This is especially, especially a, per, a pertinent question for our day. After all, in the last two years alone, we have seen a great deal of injustice in our day. If you live in the United States, all you have to do is look at the last five years and you wonder, where is God? Where is God? Is God a just God? Is he a caring God? Is he concerned with my concerns? Where is God? And so this psalm is very, very pertinent for our day and for our times because it spells out the justice of God. The psalmist describes two sides of the character of the wicked in Psalm 10, 2 through 11. Structurally, each description is five verses long. It ends with the inner thoughts of the unjust oppressor. He says in verses 6 and 11, he says in his heart, and now two words summarize these wicked oppressors, arrogant and aggressive. Their, their pride and their violence spell disaster for anyone who stands in their way. First, the wicked oppressors are arrogant. The arrogant, uh, the trouble they cause, flows out of their self-importance. Verse 2, in arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. And where does this abusive pride come from? For one thing, they forget the, the, the writ, that the rich and the poor were both created in the image of God. We did not make ourselves. We did not choose which family we would be born into, the opportunities we would be given. We did not choose how intelligent we would be, how wise we would be, how self-motivated we would be. All this is from the hand of a sovereign God. The writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 22, 2 says, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The wicked forget this. They, they view themselves as self-made men. They're self-sufficient, like sharps made to swim at the top of the feud chain. This pride is Darwinian at its core, a survival of the fittest that grinds the poor into the dirt. And in their arrogance, they think God will never do anything. They don't think that God will judge them. They have nothing but contempt for God, and they laugh that God will judge them. In fact, they don't worship God. They worship themselves. Psalm 10, 3-4 says, For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts... There is no God. And the word for in verse 3, it tells us why the wicked pursue the poor. They turn on the poor and the helpless because they, they first turned against the Lord. And what does it mean to boast in your desires? That This is an unusual phrase. The, the wicked are proud of their desires. Their cravings are virtue. After all, they didn't succeed because their will to win, their greed got them where they wanted to go. And one of the most powerful illustrations of this comes from the 1987 Oliver Stone movie, Wall Street. 
The main character, Gordon Gecko, was modeled after high, powerful traders who ran the financial markets like the masters of the universe. In one famous scene, Gecko delivers a speech to the nervous shareholders of Telder Paper Corporation, saying this. Greed, for a lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies. It cuts through. It captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed, in all of its forms, greed for life, greed for money, greed for love, greed for knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Telder Paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA, he says. And this, this quote, it strikes a chord because it hits right at the core of us as Americans. After all, the spirit of American materialism declares greed as a virtue, and greed is the foundation of success for American materialism. This is the mindset of the man or the woman who boasts of the desires of their soul. They, they boast because they believe it is a good thing never to be content, never to be satisfied, always to want more and more and more and on and on and on. And in their greed, they grind the poor to the ground to get what they want. It is so sobering to notice that these wicked men and these wicked women renounce God by his personal name, Yahweh, the Lord, in verse 3. And this means that, that these oppressors are not foreigners. They're Israelites who knowingly reject the God of Israel. In their greed, they loved money and possessions more than they love God. And in their pride, they do not look for him. They do not trust him. They do not believe them. And finally, they even deny that God exists. Greed and pride can turn your heart away from God today as well. In fact, you might have grown up knowing God, knowing the God of the Bible, but perhaps you're living for yourself. Mark 8.36 says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The wicked boast in their desires. But the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1.31, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And you might assume that someone who openly rejects God would be struck down by lightning, or that, or that maybe you might be under discipline. But atheists often prosper. People who give themselves to gather money often get rich. And because they've laughed at God and they still have been successful, their arrogance grows. They assume they must be invincible. Nothing can possibly happen to them. And yet Psalm 10.5 says, His ways prosper at all times. Your judgment are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. Because he is affluent, he, he's convinced that nothing can touch them. He has the latest tech gadgets. He drives a Mercedes-Benz. He goes on the best vacation. He wears new clothes. Success has blinded his eyes to the judgment of God. It is too high a thing for him. And here's what he thinks in his heart. Verse 6 says, He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. The wicked man is thoroughly deceived. He thinks that the blessings God reserves for the godly belong to him. It is a blameless man, though, who shall not be moved. But the wicked are like chaff that drive the wind away. Psalm 1.4 says, The wicked think that they can set up their children to prosper after them. They, they can put them in the right schools, introduce them to the right people, and leave enough to provide for them, and that'll be enough. But the scriptures say 
in Psalm uh, 1, uh, 112, verse 2, that the generation of the upright will be blessed. In his pride, the wicked man has believed a lie. In fact, the wicked man is not only arrogant and proud, they're aggressive and they're violent. And this is the second part of the psalm, this description. Psalm 10.7 says, His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. In the summer of 2012, northeastern Oklahoma was a tinderbox after weeks of drought and triple-digit temperatures. On August 2nd, a devastating wildfire in Creek County burned uh, 58,500 acres, destroyed 376 homes left hundreds of people homeless. And as it turned out, the fire was started by a single cigarette. A wicked man's words are like a spark that ignites violence. And in fact, sin, sins of the tongue are the most common kind of violence in the book of Psalms. Evil shows itself most often in verbal violence. In fact, the, the, the Apostle Paul quotes, Psalm 10.7, to show that everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, are under the power of sin in Romans 3.14. And James says in James 3.6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the whole course of our life, and set on fire by hell. And from a violent heart comes violent action, Psalm 10 Verses 8 through 10 says, He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. And the wicked man is treacherous. He ambushes the unsuspecting. He doesn't do his work in cities where he might get caught, but rather hunts in the villages where people trust each other and don't lock their doors at night. His eyes shift around stealthily, watching for his victim. He lurks. He hides his net. God helps the man he, he catches because he's not only treacherous, he's also merciless. He, he cares nothing about the people he attacks, whether they're good or they have families depending on them. He just does whatever he wants to do. And why does he attack the poor? For one thing, his heart is bad. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. His words are full of cursing and oppression, to use the language of Psalm 10, 7, because his heart is full of cursing and oppression. His very nature is to use whatever power he has to use and exploit others. And the poor are also his victims. A poor man doesn't have connections who will go to bat for him. A poor man that may not know his rights, and if he's an immigrant, he might be ashamed that he can't speak English well, and he might not have the confidence to stand up for himself. A poor woman can, can probably be frightened and even silenced. If she gets pregnant, you might be able to intimidate her into having an abortion. The poor man can't hire a lawyer, especially not one who can fight the legal department of a large company. A poor man doesn't have the clout at City Hall that comes from owning a business and providing jobs in the community. The poor are easy prey for the wicked. And this is why the scriptures command us in Proverbs 31 verse 9 to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Ultimately, he oppresses the poor because he thinks that, that he will not be called to account, that he will not face judgments. And Psalm 10, 11 tells us his thoughts. He says in his heart, 
God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. In fact, the, the arrogance of the wicked expresses itself in injustice. But their root problem is their utter disregard for the Lord. They no longer see the need for accountability to God. They decide that God has, has not stepped in to stop them because he doesn't know and he doesn't care that, that he's not present at all and, and he's just floating about. And, and we are just autonomous creatures. And so, so the wicked are given free reign to violence in their heart. But they have gravely mistaken the wicked have God's silence. God is not forgetful. He is not negligent. He, he, is, not, he is not unmoved by, by the injustice of our age. God is patient. He's, he's kind with sinners. He gives them every opportunity to turn away from their sin and repent. And the scriptures warn us not to draw the wrong conclusion when God is patient with our sin. Romans 2, 4 through 5 says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and the patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your heart and your impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, if God doesn't stop you or even strike you down when you sin, don't think that this means he doesn't know or doesn't care God is kind, he is patient, and he offers you every opportunity to turn away from your sin. The wicked mistake God's patience for negligence. The godly recognize God's kindness and mercy, and they run to Christ, and they keep their eyes on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. You see, God will judge the world. He will judge the living and the dead he stores up judgment for the future, and he judges sin and oppression today. After describing the wicked, the psalmist calls God to action. First, he pleads with God to intervene. Psalm 10:12 says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Many times God does not seem to act. It's agonizing to watch injustice unfold like a slow-motion train wreck. We can't understand why God would allow this to happen. The, the right response, though, is to turn to God in prayer, to ask him to step in and intervene. This is the prayer of faith, believing that God is concerned and can deliver and rescue the needy. The, the fact the phrase in Psalm 10, 12, lift up your hand, it suggests a warrior raising his arm in battle. The psalmist wants God to step forward with power on behalf of the weak and the helpless, they need a champion to stand against the wicked. In fact, if you're a Christian, he may use you to answer this prayer. You may be part of his solution. When William Wilberforce saw the horrors of the slave trade, he could have simply prayed for God to end it. Instead, Wilberforce took action. He gave his first major speech against slavery in the Parliament on May 12, 1789. In 1791, he joined the Society for Effecting the Abolition of the Slave Trade to work formally with others who were committed to the same goal. After 18 years of work, the Slave Trade Act was passed in 1807, 
outlying the sale and transportation of slaves. But slavery itself was unabolished in the British Empire until August of 1834. Wilberforce died in 1833, only three days after learning that the Slavery Abolition Act was guaranteed to be passed. He had worked for 44 years to end the sale of slavery, and soon after his death, over 800,000 African slaves were set free. Who is weak and helpless? Is God calling you to do something today about the injustice, injustices that are happening all around us today? Well, we can see, we can pray, we can take action because we know that God is a judge of all the earth and that he is at work. Psalm 10, 13 through 14 says this. Why is the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you, you will not call to account, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it in your hands to, to you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. You see, the helpless and the fatherless are the most vulnerable, the most easily taken advantage of. God cares passionately about the way we treat the poor and the vulnerable among us. In the law of Moses, God promised to protect the weakest among the people and warned he would take up their cause. In Exodus 22, 21 through 24, it says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. As the psalmist looked around, he, he saw the Israelites who thought God would never keep his promise to defend the poor. And so he calls on God to be true to his word and act decisively against the violent and the oppression all around him. Psalm 10:15 says, Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. You see, breaking their arm, it symbolizes breaking their power. But we shouldn't uh, sanitize this and think that God would never be violent. God does bring violence on the wicked in this life. After Ahab took possession of Naboth's vineyard, God sent the prophet Elijah to confront him with God's judgment. 1 Kings 21, 21 and 23 through 24 says this, Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut you off from Ahab, every male, bond or free in Israel. And of Jezebel the Lord also said, The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone Belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. Gruesome words. And they came true. Ahab died in battle and all of his male descendants died. Jezebel was thrown from an upper room window and died on the street. God does indeed defend the weak and the powerless. He brings judgment on oppressors today. He stores up wrath for them on the final day. Well, the psalm ends with new confidence in God. Psalm 10, 16 through 18 says this, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart and you will incline their ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Now, we don't know whether this, this prayer of the psalmist ever saw an answer to his prayer. 
We see the important point that we need to drive home today as we round, uh, come to a conclusion for our time together is this. It's God's timing is not our timing. That means that you and I, we might go to our graves not seeing justice done this side of heaven. And yet we know that God is king. He defends his people. He stands for the weak. And this is actually the best news in the world. It may not seem like it, but it is. We may not see justice done for the the countless evils of our day. Over 60 million children, you know, have been murdered by abortion since, since the 70s or so. Countless children and even adults are taken into sex trafficking. We may not see justice this side of heaven for those things. And yet, God is still at work. You may, you may face a situation at work that is full of injustice. You may face a situation in your family that, and you wonder, where is God in the midst of this situation? Psalm 37, 4 says that God is near to the brokenhearted. We, we often equate God's nearness with our, with our feelings. And so we, we feel that God is close. But it's also possible that God is so close. And so, so close to us, he's, he's the one who's actually holding us. He's the one who, Scripture says, upholds this world by the word of his power. He's, he's the one who knows our thoughts. He's the one that is always present. It's not possible for God to not act in a way in which he has revealed himself to be. That, that makes God a liar. And that undermines the holiness of God. And Titus 1-2 very clearly says that God never lies. And the scriptures are also clear. God's ways are just and holy and perfect and good. You see, God always acts in accordance with his revealed character. And where do we learn about his revealed character? We learn about it in the word of God. It may seem like things are out of control. It may seem like injustice is going to win the day. But dear Christian, injustice is not going to win Today, it is not. There is coming yet a day in the future when Christ will return and Christ will judge the living and the dead and justice will be meted out finally and fully by the hand, by the one who Psalm 139 tells us fashioned us in our mother's womb. Let, let, that, let that sink in. The one who created you, he's the one who's going to execute justice. And then see, you know what? There's no way possible that, 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 that the injustice will not be then ultimately dealt with. And, and even we should pray. We should pray for those who are wicked. We should pray that God will awaken their hearts to the cross 
and the empty tomb to the resurrection of, of our Lord. We should not pray that, that they be cast down into hell. That, that is the worst injustice ever. Men and women reject Christ because they don't see their need for the Lord Jesus. And hell is a place of unending, unrelenting, conscious punishment. We should pray for the wicked to repent and to turn. That is the ultimate act of love, to, to, to intercede for the lost, to intercede for those who, who have done us harm, who have done us wickedness, who have done wicked deeds to us, that they might be saved. And trust the Spirit to open eyes, to place people around them, to share the truth with them. My point is, you go to your grave not knowing that justice will be done, but you can go to your grave even so, knowing that the one who created you, the one who formed you in your mother's womb, as Psalm 139 tells us, he is a God of justice. And on that last day, he will mete out justice. His justice will be meted out fully and finally at the great right throne judgment. Dear Christian, let that, let that hit you. Let that, let that truth soak in your, hit you afresh. Let, yeah, let it hit you afresh. Don't you know that, that the justice of God has been, has been satisfied in the death of Christ? at the wrath that burned against you as a sinner. You were at war with God, and God made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith in Christ alone. That was not your work. That was the gift of God to you. Salvation, Jonah 2.9 says, is of the Lord. From the beginning to the end, it's of the Lord. We have a God who is totally just. Maybe you're not a Christian. Don't you know that the Bible tells you that even now is the hour? Today is the day of salvation. And I plead with you on the basis of 2 Corinthians 5 to be reconciled to God because as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus, that is our job. Our job is to do the work of an evangelist, to call men and women to repent and to believe and, it, and God the Holy Spirit comes along and uses our faithful preaching of Christ to awaken sinners to new life in Him. That's why it's a mercy to pray for those who have done harm to us. And Jesus commands us in, in the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew 5, 44 to 48 to pray for our enemies. That's, by the way, that's not an option. By the way, read 1 John. Read 1 John. And one of the tests of love is loving those, by the way, who, who have hurt you. It's, it doesn't make it any easier. Trust me. It takes time. It hurts. I've been there. I've walked that path. Many Many, many times. 
But we need to pray for our enemies. We need to pray that God might be merciful to them. We don't need to call down God's justice and his thunder and his wrath because that's if we if we if we do that we we minimize what Jesus did for us in saving us from our sins. We we are just like the wicked. We are undeserving. We what we deserve is hell and damnation and yet God he gives us grace. So let us pray. Let us pray for for the wicked. Let us pray for those who have done harm to us. After all, the Lord commands us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And may he strengthen your heart by faith in Christ. And so if you trust him, you'll be able to live joyfully even in times of trouble and difficulty and challenge. You'll be able to endure injustice with quiet confidence in the sovereign providence of God. You'll be able to take action and defend the weak, and you'll be able to rest in the Lord and know what Hebrews 13, 5 and 9 says, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is unchanging. And so you can take that to the bank. You can trust the God who will never lie. You can trust that he is holy, that he is just, that he is perfect, and that he is good. Let's pray. Lord, even as even as I we've gone through this study, I, I'm just reminded of, of the many times where I foolishly, foolishly, Pray that wicked people that have done me harm in my life, how I wish that they would be struck down, that you would strike them down, and how I foolishly prayed for that. Instead, Lord, praying that you would open their eyes to see the beauty of Christ, to see the horror of their sin and the beauty of Christ. Lord, help us to not only understand that you are a God of justice, but that you are a God of mercy, that you are a God of grace. And we're so thankful that that we see that at the cross, your love and your justice meet. And you say in John 19.30, it is finished. It is signed. It is sealed. And the blood of our king who paid that penalty for us in our place and rose again and ascended and is even yet returning. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on Christ. As Hebrews 12 tells us, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, may we repent where we've where we prayed for the justice of God to be to be to come down and to smote or to light somebody on fire, Lord, we repent. We repent. Help us, give us, give us hearts that that long for the lost to be saved. They might be found by the one who goes out after the, the, the one lost sheep, 
you leave, John 10 says, the, the one, the 99, and you go after the one lost sheep because you, you are the, the, the good shepherd, the, the chief shepherd, the head of the church. Lord, give us the heart of our good shepherd, Jesus, and help us to see people through the eyes of the good shepherd and our king. In Jesus' precious name, I pray, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.